one of the greatest blessings and the biggest responsibilities with raising children is that you're the person who shows them the world. You're the person who shows them the world. This is right. This is wrong. This is morally acceptable. This is socially acceptable. This is funny. This is a funny thing. Watch this show, son. This is a funny show. You'll like this. This is appropriate for you to watch. Son, you can watch The Simpsons. I know you're young, but it's all right. You can watch The Simpsons. This is inappropriate. This is good. This is bad. This is right. And this is wrong. And in the early years, I guess where, where Martin and Amy are now, it's more just about saying things like, don't eat soil, Seth. Don't do that. Don't bite people that you don't know, or even people that you do know, it's all kind of wrong. But, but as, as you get older, and, I'm, and I guess I'm finding this out now as a, as a parent, and my kids are here and getting bigger, the, the gravity of the sort of things you've got to explain to your kids just grows and grows. You'll be watching the news one night, and there's some tragedy in Africa, and your kids turn around to you, kids turn around to the grown-ups and say, what? What? Why, is, why is he so angry, Dad? Why is that te- why, why has he got a gun? Why is he mad? What's he cross at? Or... I mean, harder still when there's a terrible you know, national uh, uh, catastrophe. There's a, there's a tornado or something like that sweeps through a country, and you're the person that's got to explain this to your kids. This falls on you. This is your responsibility. And it's like a real joy. It's like a real thrill, and it's a real privilege, but it's this like weighty burden as well that you're the person that's got to do this to your kids. The other thing that, that you become aware of, so I'm 38, Somebody reminded me at footy yesterday morning that I'm, I'm knocking on, and I'm, I'm knocking on, and my kids are getting bigger. But the, you, you get to this point where the opportunity to be the big influence on your kids, the window to that closes a little bit. You know, you're just getting used to the fact that your kids are asking you everything, and all of a sudden, the kids have got other influences. There's other people telling them the story, other people filling in the gaps, and that window closes. It's like a fleeting moment to be treasured and maximized, and you'll moan about it, Martin and Amy, like mad, because you'll be exhausted, and you'll be sick of the questions, the why question, why, 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 but it's a thrill and a joy and a privilege. And one of the things that you become aware of as you, as you follow the gospel story, the story of Jesus, and the people who follow him and hold him in high regard as somebody who's special, and somebody who's significant, who are wondering if he's God, is the value of the moments that Jesus turns to them and explains about life. As I, as I, re, as I get older, and as I, as I need more of God's wisdom to make sense when I stand at the front and talk, you, you begin to appreciate those moments when Jesus turns around. And he ex- there's a, something happens in the Bible, there's an event in the Bible, and Jesus says something, and that's the story we're going to look at today. Jesus says something, and then he turns on to those people who are following him. We call them his disciples, but it's, it's like whoever the crowd is, and he says, here's what to make of this event, and it's like a treasure and a wisdom. So we're going to take one of those events, and we're just going to soak it up and learn as much as we can from it. So the text that we saw, there is a, there's a preceding story. I'm just going to fill you in. So this is the story, kids. This is the, this is the thing to listen into, the parable of the rich fool. We'll read it out. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. This is like a, if you've ever seen Black Mirror, this is a dark, I think this is as dark as the parables get. But Jesus is making a point. He wants it to be dark. I think the ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Listen to this. But God said to him, you fool. Take note when you hear the word fool in the Bible. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This was a, so Jesus tells this, this dark, black mirror-esque kind of story, and he speaks into this debate that's going on. So Jesus, Jesus was like itinerant. He's wandering about the place. He's a rabbi, and people look to him and going to ask him questions. And what he gets asked is quite a common question. If you read through some of the, some of the laws that's involved in, in, in inheritance and where the money's supposed to go and where the land's supposed to go, it's really significant for, for the people of Israel. It's, it's really quite complex. And so the, what's, what's happened is some guy, you might call him a chancer, has heard about the new rabbi that's in town, Jesus, who's, who's taking a different view of things from a lot of other teachers that are knocking about. And he says, well, what? You know, tell my brother to, to sort out this inheritance with me. He's got a chance in his arm. He's thinking, I wonder if this new rabbi, this Jesus, is going to give me a break. And Jesus tells him this dark parable this farmer who has this bumper year so awesome he's not got any room to store his grain he tears down his barns to build bigger barns and you and you're kind of reading it at least when I read it and I read it I think that's what Jesus says to him at the end this night your very life will be taken from you what where the parable ends up I, I read that and I think man that's a bit that's a bit harsh. Don't you think? Where the story goes, man, that's a harsh parable. That's a harsh thing to accept. There seems to be a bit of wisdom in there for me. I see a lot of people like that. Maybe if I made, you know, I, I think I might make those kind of decisions. If I had a bumper harvest, I might well knock my house down and build bigger barns and sit back and be merry. Jesus is making a really clear point. You see, because Jesus, Jesus sees what's going on in the story. There's a bigger problem than the correct application of local laws here. There's a bigger issue, and that issue is the issue of greed. Jesus looks at this guy who's concerned about his inheritance, and he says, I see what you're saying. It's important to debate this out. It's important to talk this out. And I can be a judge and an arbiter. In fact, there's nobody more qualified in the world to be a judge or an arbiter than me, but I can see underneath this story, and I can see what's really going on here, and it's greed. Greed is the problem. I think it's an interesting issue, the idea of greed and the fact that Jesus points it out. Isn't it? It's funny. I think lots of us would know, not just us in the church, but all around the planet, that greed is an issue. And in fact, you could actually say, man, greed is such a massive issue. It's the issue. And you kind of look at it and go, man, yeah, that's, that's causing a bunch of problems. And we take this kind of truth that we've learned about greed and we kind of put it to the back of our minds. 
kind of don't do anything about it. Just think about it. There is, there is enough stuff on the planet. There's enough food. No matter how you divvy up the planet up, whether you take it country by country, or whether you take it as the planet as a whole, or whether you take it community by community, there's enough stuff, there's enough water, there's enough food, there's enough money, there's enough brains, there's enough everything. And yet there's people that go short. It's not because of the amount of stuff that there is. And Jesus kind of highlights that point. He said, it's greed. The issue is greed. And I think he gives us this, I think he gives us this dark black mirror parable so that this is, this is the wisdom he wants to pass on. He says, I want, I want this to be in your minds. Greed is a problem. Here's the three points, guys. Three points. Back in the game, everybody. Jesus counters this with the text we've heard about that was, that was read out to us uh, earlier on. Three points. The first point I want to make is that life is about more than just stuff. Life's about more than just stuff. Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or, about what, or your body, what you will wear. For life is more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's not about stuff. Jesus stalls us on this point. He's, he's, he's at pains, and I guess he's looking at his disciples. And you've got, you've got to kind of imagine what it's like from the disciples' perspective a little bit, haven't you? They've, they've not got any stuff. They've left all their stuff. You remember what they read about the disciples? Peter would say later on, we've left everything to follow you. We've got no home, no money, no jobs, no nothing. You can almost imagine him saying, well, I can get it if you would explain this to a rich man, some rich man who's abused his life. I can understand this parable then, but to us, Jesus tells his disciples who have nothing, life is not about the abundance of possessions that you have. This is, again, another thing that we know it's an important truth that we undervalue, that we don't live in light of. We just forget this. I was watching Under Some Duress last night. I always say that at the start of an anecdote like this. I was watching Stand Up to Cancer, Bake Off, you know, the celebrity Bake Off program. And as, as I'm watching it, uh, my, me and my wife, Jude, we're talking through like, things like you know, all, the tr- all the trivial sort of stuff, where we're going to go on holiday. We need a holiday. And uh, you know, what can we afford? And... We could maybe buy a little new, we could do the new couch. It was all these sorts of conversations, just, just general talking about stuff, talking about life. And we're watching, it was Alan Carr, who I'm not normally big into Alan Carr, but was, if, you, if you've got uh, the red button, you know, watch this. He's absolutely, he can't cook to, couldn't cook to save his life. It's absolutely hilarious. And then, so we're having this merriment and this banter, and this is what this program does. And just before it cuts to a break, you get this story of a family whose lives have been turned apart by cancer. And it's, it's terrible when it happens to you because you're laughing away and you're thinking about your own stuff and what life is actually about. And then you get this moment where all, all of what you thought was really important about life, all of you thought was the stuff that stuck it together and made it stick, actually just disperses so quickly. And you see in the lives of this family, who two of them have, have passed away, the sanctity and the sacredness and the value of life and what life is all about. And Jesus reminds us with this, with this, and he reminds his disciples, and I think he would speak to us and he would say, life is not about 
stuff. You're going to drift off through your lives and think it's all about stuff. First bit of wisdom. Life is not about stuff. Second bit of wisdom that Jesus imparts. He says, don't worry. Now, I'm, a, I'm a worrier. I, am, it's, I think it's genetic and some of it's nature and nurture. It's a bit of both with me, but I am a worrier. Somebody tells me not to worry. I'm like, what, what shouldn't I worry about? What do you mean? I'm, I'm there. Do you know what I mean? I, I wasn't worried to start with, and then somebody comes in and says, don't worry. Now I'm worried. Now I'm worried about what's going to happen. So some of the responses that we have to people telling us not to worry, another one could be when somebody says don't worry, you'd say, who are you to tell me not to worry? You've got no idea. You're not in my shoes. What's going on in my shoes? And I guess as Jesus tells the disciples who've got no stuff, who've left everything. Actually, I look in on the story of the disciples and I hear Jesus saying to them, don't be anxious about anything. And I think actually they've got lots to be anxious about. Death's just around the corner for them. They've got no jobs. They've got no homes. They're going to be really badly persecuted. If anyone should be worrying now, it's them. And can you, can you imagine if they were at some sort of works review and works tribunal and they had to describe their working conditions and they say to some a third party listening in, well, yeah, we've got no money and he keeps dragging us around the place and there's no promises and there's no pay and there's no homes. And they'll say, well, what, you know, what does your boss say to you? He just says to us, don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to be Okay. One of the reasons Jesus can say that, one of the things that we learn about Jesus through the story of the Bible, is that he puts himself in our shoes. That's part of his story. He comes to this earth. He stands there alongside the disciples as one of them, as a man. And he can say, and he can see all that's before him with the cross and the rest of his life, and he can say to his disciples, he can look them blunt in the eye, and he can say, don't worry. Don't worry. How can he say this? Why can he say this? There's two reasons I think he makes this point. One, and we all think about if you're a worry, I think about this, it doesn't help. Worry doesn't help, does it? I mean, I'm a worrier, but worry does not help. Apparently the meaning, when you dig around at the meaning, it means to divide your mind. Uh, the, the meaning from this text anyway, in terms of what worry is. It means to divide your mind. It means you think you're not going to see clearly. You're not going to think straight. And, and I guess as we get more psychologically advanced, we know more and more about anxiety and the sort of physical symptoms that come with it. We know that being, you know, worrying actually manifests itself physically. It's not good for you. Jesus says, who can add a single hour to his life by worrying? He says, you can't. It doesn't get you anywhere. It's futile. The wisdom of Baz Luhrmann says, don't worry about the future or worry. And you might remember this song. It's from the olden days when I'm from. Don't worry about the future or worry but know that worrying is as, as, is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind. Jesus says, don't worry, it doesn't help. He also says, don't worry, because it doesn't make any sense to worry. Don't worry, because it doesn't help. Don't worry, because it doesn't make any sense to worry Here's what he says, consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them, and how much more valuable are you than birds? And you can almost see, I've got one of these minds that imagines the story, you can almost see the raven flying past as Jesus is trying to explain this to his disciples, and this raven that's just grabbed some food and then flown off and landed in a tree, and Jesus points it out and says, look, that raven seems to be against all the odds. You know, that's, he's not got an insurance plan. He's not got um, 
He's not got an insulated home to go to. He's not got any barns to store his food, and yet he's fine. How much more? And he looks at his disciples and says, how much more? If you believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth, if you believe in a God that sustains the earth, if you believe in a God that's going to redeem the earth one day, how much more is that God who looks after that raven going to look after you? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. These, these flowers, you see these wild flowers that just pop up in the meadows, and they're just absolutely stunning and beautiful to look at. And they, they don't have to, they're just gorgeous. They don't have to go to any effort. They don't have to get dressed up. They just look like that. How much more is your, if, you, if you've got a faith in God, he looks at his disciples, if you believe in the sustaining power of God, how much more is this God going to look after you? It doesn't make sense to worry. It's a bit like, it's a bit like being on a canoe heading towards Niagara Falls, knowing the power of Niagara Falls and being really worried about your hairdo. It's a bit like that. It's a bit like knowing that you're going to go over the edge of this enormous waterfall and plunge to your death, knowing that everything depends on the waterfall, and all you can think about is, is my barnet good? Am I looking good at this moment? It's as stupid as that. It doesn't make sense to worry. So there's two points. We're two points in. Life's not about stuff. And don't worry. It doesn't help. And I guess as I'm telling you all this stuff, as I'm looking around at, at all this stuff, Christian or not, churchgoer or not, I think, I think you know this stuff. I think you know, I think you're smart enough people to go, yeah, even though, you know, even though I know that I, I, I want lots of stuff and, and I'll end up booking more holidays than I can really afford and I want, you know, I want this and I want that, I know that life's not really about that. And I know that even though I do worry all the time, I know actually that, that life's not really about that. What I want us to think about is how can we get from this being something that's just good advice, how can we take this story from this being something that's just good advice to being something that's got real meaning for you? How does this godly wisdom, just don't worry, life's not about stuff, move from being just, yeah, I know that, that's interesting, that's helpful, that'll help me raise my kids a bit better. How do we take that on a next step so it's lasting? Because the thing is, tonight, after I leave my preach, I go home, and me and my wife book a holiday that we probably can't afford, and we spend the next six months worrying about the fact that we can't pay it back, and you'll do something similar. Or the day after that, there'll be some terrible tragedy in my community, in my family, around about, and I will worry about it. Because worry and getting stuff is part of life. How do we make these wisdom mean something? Jesus gives us a bit of advice. It says this, seek, and I think in Matthew's gospel, this is verse 31. I think in Matthew's gospel it says seek first. It says seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And then after all this gentle advice, he says something that's intended to scare them and us to death. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will never wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see what's on offer here? 
You know the kind of, kind of peace that we crave and we end up getting five minutes peace? Jesus here talks about something that's not just five minutes peace. He says this is eternal shalom, eternal peace. You know this, these efforts we make, these investments we make in life in stuff, the legacy of which will end when we end. Jesus is talking about an investment that will never fail, that will never go away. He's talking about something bigger than that. And God says to his disciples at this point, he tells them to go and, go and sell all your stuff. Scares them to death. Go and sell all your stuff. Keeps it in their mind. What is he really saying? He's saying you're going to need to get to a point in your life where the logical way that you get through life, you can be willing to abandon. And, you can, and I'm going to use this word, and I'm going to use it carefully, surrender. That's what Jesus says to him. He says, you are going to have to get to a point in your life where you are willing to surrender to me. Where you are willing to consider that the help that you need to get through life exists in something bigger than yourself. The idea of surrender, and we'll leave you, I'll leave you with this thought, and I guess the band will come up after, the, after I finish here. The idea of surrender sounds like the worst idea in the world, doesn't it? Just a word you don't ever want to use. Yeah, I surrender. I am beaten. I am done. Surrender. Unless the person that you are surrendering to is a good God who loves you and who will keep you.